And so we're going to continue in the Word and allow God to bless us yet more this morning. Praise the Lord. And uh, Barbara does send her greetings and hopefully she'll be back with us next week. She's recovering well and um, looking forward to joining with us. All right, John chapter 1, Gospel of John chapter 1. Now, I've been willing to kind of move on, but as I come before the Lord and as I pray, I continually, at this point of time, are quickened by God just in relation to this issue again of His fullness. And, um, and, uh, and it's like, even in this instance, I wasn't, usually it happens that during the week I'm kind of, you know, already... Uh, pondering and praying about various thoughts, but I had such a busy week, I didn't get time to kind of do that. And then Saturday, as I was in the morning, had some quiet time, and I was pondering, and I was ready to thinking of some other thoughts. So, and I thought, you know, I just said to the Lord, is there anything else that I should say in relation to this issue of fullness? You know, I'm ready to move on, but, you know, is there something else maybe that I could, you know, that I maybe haven't covered, or that I could share? And... Um, and so this scripture jumped into my heart and I was quickened by God. And as I wrote it, I just I was rejoicing before the Lord. And so I want to share it with you this morning and pray that you will be as blessed as I was in uh, preparing it and obviously you know, in preaching it. But just we can be blessed and refreshed and revived and rejoiced in the goodness and greatness of God. Amen. So John chapter 1, and uh, I am going to continue with this aspect of fullness. Now you will recall that I've made an emphasis over the last few months as we've considered various aspects that relate to the divine uh, uh, um, aspect, which is more so God's action and God's responsibility in relation to his provision of fullness and all that relates to that. And we've also made an emphasis on the human responsibility that is associated with the Christian life and the Christian walk so that we can be partakers of that fullness. And so last week we made the emphasis in Ephesians 5, you'll recall, and we looked at where the, the, the biblical instruction is to be filled with the Spirit. And so the onus there is pretty much on the way in which we order our conduct and the way in which we, the choices we make and the way in which we go about understanding the will of the Lord and walking worthy before Him. And so... There is that emphasis there. But what I want to consider with you today is all of God. All of God. And so as we consider these things, it's hard for us to draw the exact line. But what we know, amen, it is is God's initiative, it's God first and foremost, and it's God to the end, amen. And we have our part to play in that process and it's important that we understand that. Otherwise, we, uh, we tend to various extremes. But we want to look at this issue. It's all of God. And so um, sometimes as we talk about the God factor and the human factor, we can sometimes think, gosh, is there issues of contradiction here? But there's not. Amen. Uh, some things may be beyond our grasp and our understanding, but nevertheless, both are clearly delineated and both are clearly stated as we've sought to identify. But I thought it kind of captures when Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 10, 
he says these words. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I laboured more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now that kind of seems like a contradictory statement, doesn't it? But it's not contradictory at all. As you consider what we're talking about, and as we consider the issue of fullness and the aspects of the divine and human elements, we come into this same category because there is the grace of God, which is what we're going to consider in the context that we look at in a moment. But nevertheless, there's the I factor, but there is not I, but the grace of God which is with me. Amen. And, uh, you know, in Corinthians, again, Paul talks about the church and he says the one plants and one waters. There's a human aspect to this, but it's God that brings the increase. And there's a divine factor, again, that kicks in and that overarches and filters through the whole. And so here in this issue of fullness, it's exactly the same principles at work. And so it's critical that we identify them. And what is important is that we understand uh, how these dual realities, these dual aspects, these truths, uh, they have to be understood. What I have learned is you have to have a correct understanding because that, in, that, that understanding and revelation then helps you to take the necessary steps so that uh, you are, are walking in a right way or in accordance to truth and the truth of God's word. Because if your understanding is wrong, then sometimes and your motives are wrong, then you can be out of kilter with God and soon enough God in his grace will bring you back to that point until we finally learn some lessons uh, until he teaches us those things he wants to teach us and that's just the nature of the Christian life. Uh, We all fall into that category. But God help us to have a correct understanding and application of these things uh, and uh, otherwise if we don't we will fall into uh, lean too heavily on one side or the other. You know, we say, oh, it's all of God, so we do nothing, right? No. But, but then, uh, then there are those that lean too far on the other side. It's all self-effort and it's all me. No. But it's I. <laughs> Not just Christ, right? So see how we can sometimes get confused and how it all works. And so sometimes it's not in what we do because we have a part to play, but it's why we do it. It's the understanding that's critical. I know... I can look at aspects of my life and I'll be doing the same thing as I was doing previously. My understanding has changed. Now I have a comprehension and a revelation of the truth and that becomes liberating. That changes everything. And so the perfect balance in relation to what we've been looking at is something that only God can achieve in the individual. I can play my part in sharing these truths and you, you know, I can preach on one truth and you'll say, well, what about this truth? There's various tensions. There's so many dimensions and aspects to what we're looking at. And I can only cover so much uh, uh, and I present those, and I'm doing as the Lord would lead me to present those things, uh, but God is the one that must bring it together. Amen? He's the one that brings us in. He's the one that connects the dots. He's the one that brings about that balance. And if we are unbalanced, then he and his grace will teach us. He and his grace will teach show us so that we can enter into and apply and live in that fullness. Praise the Lord. So, in saying all that, 
Let's read our text in John chapter 1. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled Grace for Grace. John chapter 1. I'm going to read just verse 16, although, uh, you know, obviously there's a context there, but we just want to look at one particular verse. John, uh, John chapter 1, verse 16. Let me get it myself. John writes and he says these words, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Let's read it again. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Praise the Lord. You see, there is a wonderful pronouncement that is declared right in this particular verse. And sure, it has its context in relation to Christ. It has its context because John is speaking about here about Jesus. He's speaking about the wonderful truths. In the beginning was the Word, and the, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 17, the Word became flesh. Uh, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we find these majestic realities about Christ and God in the flesh. James referred to the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, there being a Christophany, a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament, but now we have Christ in the flesh, the incarnation. God becomes a man. Hallelujah. And so John is capturing this and he's portraying this as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he's giving us this account of Jesus Christ. And in comprehending and writing about such realities, he says in verse 16, and of his fullness we have all received. The only begotten of the Father, of his See, there's the issue here, again, an emphasis of fullness because we understand this. Remember, we've looked at this in Colossians where in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For it pleased God that in him the fullness should dwell. And in in chapter 2, verse 8, it speaks about in him that the, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. In Christ Jesus, God, amen, has become a man. And of his fullness we have received John says. I tell you what, what an awesome reality, what a blessing and abundance that is. And he's, and he's identifying this in Christ and so we looked at this again, you may recall in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 where it says in him the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily and we are complete in him, meaning we are filled full. We are, we are partakers of that fullness, so therefore we are receiving of that fullness. And John is capturing this same thought and he, when he says, and of his fullness we have all received. Praise the Lord. See, received is a very key word here, amen. Because the, the, uh, we understand it, but it, the voice is in the Greek is, is, is in the passive. In the fact that it is it's something that has been obtained, it's something that has been received, but it's in the passive voice to indicate it was something that was offered, it was something that was given, and that is 
the fullness of God in Christ Jesus and we have received of his fullness. Hallelujah. That's what John's saying. And of his fullness we have received. And that's where we stand in the Lord. Amen. In Christ Jesus of his fullness we too have received from God. And that is the joy of salvation. That is the joy of Christian life. That is the joy, amen, of our service to God. That we are filled full and we are partakers of that fullness. Praise the Lord. Paul says in one of his writings in Corinthians, he says, what, have we, uh, what do you have that you have not received? <laughs> we have nothing, church. We come to him at, as in filthy garments. We've been sleeping with the pigs, corrupted in sin, and we receive the robe of salvation, and we receive of his fullness, and we deserve nothing. What do we have that we haven't received? We've received everything as a result of the blessing and the provision of Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. But it's these next words that I want us to draw our attention to, because he says... And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. Grace for grace. Why the emphasis twice? Why couldn't he say, and we've received, uh, and, uh, we, and of his fullness we have all received and grace. That would be sufficient. But the scripture says, grace for grace. And there is an emphasis that is being made. The repetition there is to establish the fact, amen, what we are seeing and in receiving of his fullness, the foundation of that, the vehicle of that, is the grace of God. Grace for grace. We're talking about the unmerited favor and blessings of God that are on the grounds of his grace. Everything, amen, is offered to us. And of his fullness we have received the grace for grace. See, the repetitive nature puts the greater emphasis for us to, to understand. As one man said, he said, grace stands alone as the chosen New Testament word for all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so it does. We refer to the covenant of grace. We refer to it as the gospel of grace. The catchword of the New Testament is grace. Hallelujah. And that's the contrasting element that we find even as John is referring to. Because grace is the key word. And grace here in the text is being used in the superlative sense. Or in other words... Uh, in the over and abundance. So not only is it grace for grace in the fact that it is the grace of God alone, but rather also in the in the abundance aspect, the superlative nature of it, we're talking about a superabundance of God's grace. Grace for grace, uh, grace and grace. And you can go on, the grace of God. See, this is how it works. You read in the book of Romans and you talk, with, as, as, and I know that the Bible studies have been going through it, and you read in those first few chapters uh, and uh, it talks about the nature of sin and that we're all under the, uh, the guilt of sin. 
corrupted. And yet the key word is not the law brings about guilt, the law brings about a knowledge of guilt in Romans 3 verse 19, but then it goes on in verse, uh, verses 21 onwards, and what does it talk about? Oh, you're freely justified by his grace. Grace. We find the emphasis of grace that is being manifested and demonstrated. And this is what Paul's talking about in Romans 4. And he talks about it again in Romans 5. And he talks about the issue of, 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 of Adam and Christ. And he talks about the issue of sin. Where sin reigned, grace reigned. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. We're talking about a superlative aspect of God's grace. And so because we need it, church, you realize that as you, even as you live as a Christian and you realize how, our shortcomings and who we really are and why we me, we can need more grace. God, I need more grace. And God so freely gives it to us. Hallelujah. And the only basis on which we can partake of his fullness is on the basis of his grace. Can you say amen? Romans shifts to the reign of grace. And it deals with it and its various applications in the Christian life. But that's all there. But the emphasis again is being graced. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8. Paul says uh, some words uh, and he says uh, about that it's a good thing for the heart to be established by the grace of God. Now this is very key and important because he says that, oh did I say 13, 13 verse 8, sorry, that's the wrong scripture. It's 13, 12 I think. See if I'm right, otherwise I have to turn there. No it's not, I'm going to get it. Hebrews 13 is good for the heart to be established. Where are we? Who's got it? Can someone pick it up for me? It's in... Ah, verse 9. Ah, see? Verse 9, verse 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So again, the emphasis is grace. It's, it is important, it is imperative, it is fundamentally crucial that the heart be established in God's grace, because if that is not the foundation and you build on externalism, as in this case it's talking about foods and external forms, then again you're going to revert back to uh, issues that are going to cause you grief and it will be based on law and based on works and that's where you run into problems. Can you say amen in the Christian life? It's got to be established in grace. The whole issue of uh, partaking of fullness is not an effort, not a, a self-effort and works-based, but it is based on his grace. And by his grace, he brings us into that fullness. This is the whole point that we're trying to talk about. The heart must be established in grace. That's why in, in verse 17, in, in, uh, in, uh, in John in chapter 1, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
and uh, the law is not going to bring us into fullness, is it? The law brings condemnation. The law brings guilt because none of us, that's why Paul says that in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, because when you're going to live according to that, you're going to end up in exactly the same place because you will always fail. You can't partake and experience God's fullness based on law. It is based on grace and truth. And in this instance, grace for grace, because that's the issue that we're dealing with. You see, when, the, when our self-effort is rooted in uh, God's grace and from God's grace, an empowerment that comes from God's grace, then, amen, you have a powerful combination to be a partaker of his fullness. And that's, in a sense, what we've been dealing with in the aspects that relate to the human responsibility and the aspects of the divine. But in this instance, we're considering the issue of grace. See, grace is something that is conferred upon us by God. We say it. We say in Ephesians 2, we say, for by grace you've been saved, not of works, not of yourselves. By grace, it's God's unmerited favour, his divine favour to people who don't deserve it. But yet, we understand that in relation to salvation, but we learn the lesson very on, very quickly, that we need, we're going to need God's grace to live the Christian life. Because, uh, you know, having begun in the, in the Spirit, we all try and perfect ourselves in the flesh. We're all guilty of it in some form, aren't we? I know I was as a young Christian. I'm a Christian now, thank God, and now I'm running. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to walk in, my, in, in the flesh. I'm going to get this right. And then all of a sudden, you fall flat on your face 50 times. <laughs> Maybe 100, depends on how silly we are, right? Until we finally get it. And we go, oh, now I see, I can't. I need his grace, his power, his provision. And then when the understanding is set right, when our, everything's corrected, then all of a sudden God brings us into it. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden the instantaneous blessing arrives. You see, we're talking about the continuation of God's grace. You see, if we're going to receive of the fullness of and it's going to be on the basis of grace, then we're going to have to need, we're going to require more grace and more grace and more grace in the Christian life. That's why we're told, if we have a throne of grace, do you have a need? Do you, do you, do you need God's help? Do you need God's assistance? Then come to the throne of grace. Come and receive more grace because God will freely give it to us. Hallelujah. And then we can appropriate it and we can experience it and constantly walk in the realities of his fullness and the blessing that we have. You struggling in an area? You have weaknesses? God's grace is sufficient. God's grace. You mean that I could be in the midst of suffering and still have God's grace and be a partaker of his fullness? That's the exact point I'm trying to make. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Paul was buffeted by Satan and he pleaded with God three times and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace will always bring you into the fullness. You can have that duality of life where you have everything that's outwardly not right, but inwardly, amen. We're reigning with Christ. We're part.
partakers of his fullness because his grace elevates us. Hallelujah. And so I want to consider this a little bit further and I want us to turn to Zechariah chapter 4. <laughs> so I'm wondering, uh, James was going with this and it kind of lays a little bit of a foundation for what we're going to look at in relation to this. So Zechariah chapter 4. Because what we find here is a beautiful picture of God's grace. There's other things that we can highlight, but we're going to look at it in the context of what we're considering. Because it's a beautiful picture of God's grace, and so we know it relates to Israel. We understand it has various applications to the present and to the future. But it has an application to us as Christians, as God's people, and it it emphasizes truths, and especially the truth that we're going to look at, and that we're looking at. And so what is also interesting is that the book of Zechariah is is coupled with the book of Haggai previously. And again, I see the human and divine elements so beautifully identified. Because the prophet Haggai is... It comes with a message from God to the people because the people are, ne- are being lauded by God to consider their ways. They are neglecting to rebuild the temple as they have been commissioned and ordained of God to do so. And they're too busy building their panelled houses and about their own business to the neglect of God. And so their responsibility is to set their mind to the work. Their responsibility is to get their house in order, to get their spiritual priorities right. And so this is what is the word that's coming through Haggai and it deals with that, which the, if you want to call it, the human aspect and responsibility that is involved in that because we say, well, it's all God. Well, God needs you. He needs you to do what you need to do. And this is what's happening. But then in Zechariah, and there's obviously lots of different aspects in the book of Zechariah, but picking up on this particular vision and on, this partic- on these particular scriptures, uh, we see that which is now the divine. Hallelujah. The divine is being illustrated. The divine is being revealed to us. Uh, and what a revelation it brings to us. You know, what must be understood is they have been commissioned to rebuild the temple and a period of at least 10 years has, has passed. And... Uh, and uh, the task of rebuilding the temple has uh, become difficult. It's become challenging. The people are overwhelmed with the process. Uh, there's uh, opposition, as James has so pointed out previously, and there's, uh, there's so many things are working against them, and so they're, they're overwhelmed by the circumstances. And so what's interesting is in the book of Zechariah, whereas in the book of Haggai, God is more or less rebuking and correcting, but in the book of Zechariah, God is understanding their struggles, God is understanding their their situation. So the prophet here is speaking to them in an encouragement, to encourage them in the work, to encourage them to trust God, to encourage them to continue on in the face of adversity, in the face of of the struggles. And in spite of all that's going on, God wants them to be encouraged. And so, what does God want them to understand? Well, there's a couple of things, but ultimately, He wants them to understand this. Grace. God's 
And so God gives to Zechariah this vision, and he wants God, and God wants him to speak to Zerubbabel. And I want us to read. We'll read it from verse one through to verse seven together, just so we can capture what's going on. It says now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right hand of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now let's just get a grasp here because we're talking now about the fullness of God and we have received of his fullness grace for grace. We're talking about the grace of God. And so what is, what is interesting here is in this vision is that we're dealing with the issue of the lampstand and we're dealing with the aspect of two olive trees that are by it. Now, the lampstand in the tabernacle of Moses was uh, was attended to by the priests, and obviously to keep the, 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 the candles burning. But in this instance, God is showing uh, Zechariah uh, a, a vision, and in, in beside the lamps there are two olive trees that are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other that it's left. So I answered and said, What are these? And my Lord, and then the angel said, what, uh, Don't you know? And he says that, that this is the word of the Lord, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, the oil, amen, is what is flowing. The oil is symbolic of the spirit of God. And the spirit of God is that which is at work, amen, and flowing in us, Christ in us. Glory to God. We have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The Holy Spirit who teaches, the Holy Spirit who guides, the Spirit of God that has, Romans 8 talks about the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit causes us to triumph. The Holy Spirit brings us into victory. The Holy Spirit brings us into fullness. You see, the Holy Spirit is the key when God says in verse 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Tell Zerubbabel, he's feeling weary, he's feeling downcast, he's feeling the weight of the burden, he's feeling as though the task is difficult. He says, tell him this, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, you can imagine just reading those scriptures, amen, excite the heart. Can you say amen? It's not by my, it's not in my strength, it's not in my power, but it's by my spirit, says 
And this is the confidence that we have. Amen. This is the confidence that in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of, 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 of the overwhelming circumstances, in the midst of sufferings, it doesn't matter. Amen. Because it, nothing is impossible for God. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And the Spirit of God is will forever, hallelujah, cause us to, to abide in that fullness. It doesn't matter what happens. Look at verse 7. It says, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. And this captures the thought that James was talking about in terms of Satan opposing, the accuser of the brethren. Sometimes we feel that, see, Satan wants to thwart the plan of God in your life. He wants to steal from you what the Lord has, that, that fullness. He doesn't want you to abide. He doesn't want you. So therefore, he wants to retard certain things. He wants to undermine the work of grace in your life. He wants to corrupt things. He wants to bring you to defeat. He wants to bring you to despair. He wants you to sense an issue of hopelessness. He wants you to cast away your confidence and say, it's impossible, can't be done. But God says it can be done. Hallelujah. Because it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so the, the mountain becomes the plain. Hallelujah. And in the midst of the spiritual battle that we find in Ephesians 6, Amen. We are to put on the whole armor of God. We are to withstand. And in that evil day, having done all to stand, we stand on in the power of His might. His power. Not my power. Not my might. That's going to accomplish nothing. But in His power and His might, we are overcomers. Praise the Lord. That's the revelation of Scripture. But listen verse 7 and what it continues to go on to say. See, there's the issue of building... Well, actually, before we look at that further, I just want to make point out, this relates also to the... We've just looked at it in the, in the individual sense as it relates to us personally. But even Jesus said, I will uh, build my church, didn't he? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the building of God's church is God's work. And uh, the, uh, Ephesians talks about this. Uh, we, you know, we're not talking now about the physical temple. We're talking about a spiritual temple. We are being built up. Ephesians 2, verse 23 and 24 talks about this. And we are God's building. Corinthians. And so we find we are stones in that, uh, in that living stones. Hallelujah. And so the, God is building. Hallelujah. The tabernacle of David. He is building. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, um, uh, the church. He is building a temple and doesn't, no one can withstand. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And God's purpose for the church is to un ultimately, in spite of any suffering that it may go through, see this is where you have all this ex excesses of dominionism and triumphalism, triumphalism, whatever you want to call it, heavyism. But the point is, is we do win, church. We just understand the context that despite any suffering, despite any opposition, despite the struggles which are real, we win. And we will, no one, the, the Lord, should, uh, the devil should not be able to steal that from us, which is ours in Christ Jesus. So, let's look at verse 7. 
It says, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Grace, grace to it. Oh, praise the Lord. You see, shouts of grace, grace. The emphasis again is twice. It's being repeated. And God says, Zerubbabel, you shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of great grace to it. And so this is such a beautiful revelation of the grace of God. It's a re- you know, yes, there's the provision of the anointing, there's the provision of power, there's the provision of the Spirit of God, but it's all on the basis of grace. Of His fullness we have received, grace for grace. And Zerubbabel is going to complete the work and he will complete it and he'll put the capstone on and with shouts of grace, grace. Because that's what it's all about. It's the grace of God, church. It's the grace of God that will enable us and empower us to live and to possess and to do all that is ours in Christ Jesus. That's the revelation. And he says, Zerubbabel, your hand is going to put that on that capstone. You see, God is working with them. Hallelujah. He's bringing them into. And in doing so, he's making sure that they understand that that capstone is a result of not their effort, not their might, not their wit, not their power, but rather the grace of God that has enabled and brought it to pass. Grace grace to it. It's all grace, church. It's all grace. And so, the foundation is grace and the capstone is grace. And you know, we're in the midst. We are still being changed from glory to glory by the grace of God. Amen? We are still in that process of being transformed. And that capstone, amen, is coming. And we will be like him, amen, when we see him as he is. And we will be perfected, hallelujah, in Christ. And we'll put up and we will be uh, put on in in a twinkling of an eye the celestial body, glory to God. And we will be perfected forever, hallelujah. And so... Shouts of grace and grace. Because the grace of God has started the work and the grace of God will complete the work. And he who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. What a day that will be when that capstone is put on. Hallelujah. And we enter into... We already are partakers of the fullness. We already have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have already tasted. But you see, there's so much more to come. There's so much more to enter into. There's so much land to possess. And praise the Lord, by God's grace, we're going to experience it and obtain it all. Praise the Lord. God's grace towards us makes us full and it makes us victorious. And can I ask, can you shout grace, grace this morning? Praise the Lord. Because one of the things that I have learned and I have no doubt anyone on the Christian pilgrimage has learned, as, as uh, Brother uh, Sam refers to his Christian.
in my Christian pilgrimage, I say Christian walk, but maybe pilgrimage is a more appropriate word, isn't it? In my pilgrimage, amen, God has taught me about his grace. He's brought me into a greater revelation and understanding and comprehension and experience of his grace. And I tell you, in that process, all you can do is shout, grace and grace. And because you get excited, you become filled with, with excitement. You become filled with joy. You become filled with passion about these things because you realize it's not of me, it's Him. Hallelujah. And He has brought me thus far. Grace has brought me thus far and grace will lead me home, praise the Lord. Amazing grace. And all of its varied applications to the Christian life. And so let us shout this morning. Can you shout about the grace of God? Grace, grace. What's it? What's that song? Glorious grace, marvelous grace. Grace, grace. Hallelujah. Grace, grace. And so the scripture says, of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. The capstone great shouts of grace, grace. The repetitive aspect is, gives us the greater emphasis. Let us reflect upon it. Let us absorb it. Let us experience it. Let us understand it. Let it be applied, amen, by the grace of God in our lives this morning. It's all grace, church. Spurgeon was right when he wrote that little booklet, All of Grace. Because that's what it's all about. By the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for the grace of God. Of his fullness we have all received. God, thank you for the provisions that we have in Christ. Because we have received it. We are complete in him. We are filled full. We are partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers of that fullness. By the grace of God, grace for grace, and even in the midst of our human frailties, even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our temptations and our sufferings in this life, Lord, God, you have given us grace for grace. Grace, grace is what brings us into that fullness and enables us to partake, enables us, Lord, to be filled again and again and again and again in Christ Jesus. We thank you, God, for the grace of God this morning. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Can we sing that song maybe? Grace, grace, God's grace. If I could have the musicians up here, let's just sing that song. Let's just take the time to meditate and ponder as we sing it together, reflect upon it. Let God to minister to your heart this morning.